Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach and your powerful presence mentor. Welcome to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most. I am your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the breakthrough success coach. Today, I have a really special guest. She is someone I've been following for years. And I will tell you that she is someone that I have just become a client of. And the process so far has been amazing. Uh, I'm really looking forward to uh, sharing her insights with you. Jennifer Kem. Jen Kem is with us today. She is a... She's a brand building and leadership expert. Um, she has created the master brand method that she's going to talk a little bit about. Uh, it's an amazing process. Uh, she loves her work in femfluence. That is her legacy. And even though she's working mostly with women who are coming up as entrepreneurs, uh, she's taken me on. So this is, it's awesome. Um, she is a straight talking badass and I can't wait to introduce her to you. Uh, she has $3 million uh, brand building businesses. Jen Kem, welcome to One Sharp Sword. Dr. P, I'm so pumped to be here. Thank you for inviting me to the show. Yeah. So I, I just, I was so excited to be able to share you with our audience. Um, I have been following you for years. You've uh, you've grown even in those years. And even back then, I thought you were something special. So, oh, thanks. Uh, you know, what you do is you take a person with a business who has a grand idea, who's not getting the exposure they need, and you help them get super exposed uh, in terms of to the to the world. Um and you also help with business processes. Mm -hmm. uh, you didn't start there, though, right? You're, can we wind back the clock? Where, yeah. like, you were a little girl somewhere. So, talk <laughs> about, like, seriously. Let's. I'm. I'm not doing the psychology thing. Let's begin with your mother and your father. <laughs> wind back the clock a little bit. What was your family like? Where'd you grow up? And yeah. um, occasionally. For those viewing this, you will see my cat uh, and or her tail whip in front of me. Pay no attention. Right. <laughs> well, Dr. P, if you asked me from a psychological view, I'd be okay because at least you're qualified to do <laughs> education <laughs> expertise. So I am happy to share. Uh, so I grew up, both Dr. P and I actually live in the San Francisco Bay Area today. We're kind of neighbors, if you will, in yeah. the grand scheme of things. Uh, but I didn't grow up in the city. I actually grew up in a tiny little town on the North shore of Oahu, Hawaii. And it was a plantation town. It was the main industries when I was growing up was the sugar and the pineapple plantations. And I am the product of uh, Filipino immigrants who got, I'll call it recruited uh, over to the territory of Hawaii. It wasn't a state back then uh, to work those fields. Um, and, I grew up in a house where it's like an old plantation house in Hawaii, you know, in Hollywood and in the movies, it looks so glamorous, but trust and believe it didn't feel that glamorous uh, growing up. We had a very humble, um, hardworking family, you know, and I got to say, I tell this to people all the time. 
for those people who know where Waialua is, which is the name of the town I grew up, they can't believe it. Because when they know who I am, they're like, I can't even see you living there. And they're right. Because on one hand, I'm so grateful that I have this rich culture and real family tradition that I was able to be brought up in. And at the same time, it felt like a huge, it felt like kryptonite um, as I grew older and, and wanted to really explore the world. I tell people a lot, like when I was young, like, you know, around seven or eight, I used to literally ask God and I would say, God, why did the aliens drop me off right here? <laughs> like, why did they <laughs> land me right here? Because I always felt like I was different. So, um, and, and it resulted in, I was very studious, but introverted. A lot of people don't believe that about me too, but I can only speak now because I really believe in what I do. And I really believe there's no such thing as now that I'm an adult, introversion or extroversion. I believe that whatever we're values driven about, which I can talk about later, we show up as an extrovert. And so, but if you met me when I was younger, little Jen Kem, her favorite places would be in the library. We had a tiny little town library. It was like the size of my living room (laughs) in my house. Uh, And I read every dang book in that library, Wayne. Um, It was, you know, and, and I had these big global dreams. I was, um, I was that kind of kid that was a voracious reader my grandmother, who you know had only a second grade education, but she was she's the most phenomenal human that's ever lived in my eyes. Um, she's still my mentor in my head, even though she's no longer on this earth anymore. And she used to give me her newspaper in the morning. We'd sit on the scratchy old seventies couch, and she would give me. She'd be drinking Lipton hot tea and eating peanut butter toast, and she would hand me the business section. And I was like in second or second grade, you know, and she would say to me, Anak, which means child in Filipino, um, you are, I think you're going to understand this one day. So she really saw in me, I don't know what, like, cause I didn't really think of myself as, oh, I'm going to grow up and be a business person, you know? Um, but you didn't feel like you were trying to please her either, right? She no. gave you the business section and you're like, maybe I will understand this someday. Right. I mean, it wasn't yeah. like, Oh, I'm supposed to, it was, I mean, that sounds so loving, right. It just sounds so loving. It was her name is Generosa, which is her, like her mother named her, right. My grandmother was the most generous human. And I, I feel like that's one of her greatest gifts she ever gave me besides teaching me how to be a proper young lady <laughs> and how to, how to act in people's homes. Um, the one thing she taught me was you can think beyond what's around you just by handing me that newspaper. Cause nobody in my space, my classmates, I, I was sent to a little Catholic school uh, in the town. My parents, and I, I say this with great humility, but they, they did feel like I had something different. You know, they didn't know what to do with it, but they figured, Oh, she goes to private school. I'm not to any of you listening. Don't be offended. If I say, Oh, Catholic school is not like the best probably school even for that. But I'm just saying that because it puts more in, embedded things into you, if you will, you know? Right. And so, um, but I, I, I went to a private school and even the nuns at our private school were Filipino. And um, I remember in second grade, sister Fatima, you know, they asked the, proverbial question they ask all young kids, what do you want to be when you grow up? Right. And 
all of the boys said they wanted to be doctors and policemen and firefighters. And the girls said they wanted to be teachers and nurses and mothers. <laughs> Very traditional roles, right? Yeah. And when I got up, the precocious young human that I was, um, I said that I wanted to be the general counsel of Coca-Cola International. <laughs> that was my answer. In second grade? In second grade. That's <laughs> awesome. Yeah. And it's crazy because people ask me, obviously, like, where did you get that from? And I'm like, from the freaking business pages that my grandma had given me. Right. And I remember not, you know, not necessarily understanding all the words on the page per se, but more like, I'm sure, cause I can't recall the exact moment, but there was probably an article about Coca-Cola international being, being, you know, the biggest brand in the world. And they probably had a quote from the person who was the head attorney for Coca-Cola at the time. And I just kind of by context clues, put that answer together, you know, for my teacher. But I got to tell you, um, my teacher was not amused. (laughs) She was, she got mad at me. Um, And um, I was sent to the back of the room and for acting up in class. And it was such a big moment for me in my life. I still remember, I can, as I speak about it right now, I can tell you, I still feel myself being in that room and feeling, I didn't know what I did wrong. And I felt so ashamed. And even um, they called my parents saying that I was kind of acting up in class because I started crying, obviously, when I was sent to the back of the room. Yeah. And I remember my mom saying to me, you know, Jenny, my mom calls me Jenny, FYI, um, you know, I want you to know you didn't do anything wrong, but I want you to also know that people around here don't completely understand you. And so sometimes you have to just speak at their level. And so, you know, I think as it just, when you, when you ask me the question, like my background, it, it speaks a lot, this story to who I am today, because yes. I spent the rest of my life fighting that, if you will. Right. Against. Let me ask you this. Did Go you, ahead. did you ever feel apologetic? Like there was this, oh, you've done something wrong, but no, you haven't. And um, speak in a way that others understand you and. And it's like, did you apologize for that? Or did you just go, well, I must be, I must really be an alien. Yeah. Right. It was more the second, but I did apologize because my mom asked me to the next day, just so that I could get back in the good graces of my teacher, which, you know, but I didn't mean it. (laughs) It was just, and actually I remember telling my mom how unfair that felt, you know, that felt so unfair and um, I also brought up like, how come all the girls want to be nurses and they don't want to be doctors? And, yeah. and my mom would say, you know, because what you need to understand when too, is for those of you who don't know, Filipino culture, Asian culture, in the, if you go to a hospital, most of the nurses are Filipino. Okay. Right. And just think about it's it. True. Our culture it is, is very, um, service driven, very much in the healthcare field. And it's a, it's a great pride when your daughter becomes a nurse. I mean, it's like, it's like a high echelon. So for me, having no interest in healthcare, that was kind of freaky to my family because <laughs> that was like what you did. And so I always felt from that, again, the very young age, okay, I don't belong. You know, that, that yeah. feeling of not belonging, even though I really felt loved, which you kind of noticed, right, Wayne? I, my, I felt very loved by my family, but I totally felt like the black sheep of the family. And so that binary dynamic that I felt 
constantly in conflict with has really, um, it's really obviously like been a big source of all the things growing up. So it makes a lot of sense. I mean, it makes sense. I'm going to jump back and forth in your story. Like you are, you were the champion of women entrepreneurs in so many ways, right? Femfluence is a big deal. It's like, that's a big deal as it should be. And, um, you've been a champion for the underdogs. Um, and, and it's like, you deserve a voice. I can help you get that voice. And that's been your, it's sort of been your struggle in your path, isn't it? Like, yes, very much. Yes. So, so fast forward, you got off the Island when, like, I left, I, I I did get a chance to, I was lucky because my parents were big. They, tr- you know, we took really good vacations every year. They wanted me to see the world. I got to wow. go to, um, you know, they both worked for the federal government, my mom and dad. And I did get to, when we had the two to three week vacation, we did like a cross country trip. We got, we flew to San Francisco and drove to DC and back. Like, wow. so I got to see a lot of the world, which I'm very grateful for. Cause again, yeah. uh, you know, but I didn't really leave Hawaii until I was 18 and went off to college. And I went to school in Silicon Valley. I went to, um, I went to Santa Clara university and then okay. I pursued my MBA at Berkeley a few years after I graduated and started a family and yeah. And then started working for the corporate world. Okay. So, um, <laughs> the business pages when you were a kid yeah. to an MBA at UC Berkeley, um, and then, I mean, you got into the corporate world in what position? Yeah, I started um, as a, I started as a junior copywriter at the biggest ad agency in the world. And for any of you listening who understand or know some of the history of advertising, there's one name that comes up and it's David Ogilvy. He's kind of like the godfather of, frankly, marketing, but definitely advertising. And I got to work for his company. Um, so uh, let me pause right there just yeah. to underscore that if you're not familiar with Ogilvy's work, Google him, go to get his books. Um, Ogilvy's work is incredible. Actually, it's um, it's a must read if you're in business. It doesn't yeah. even matter if you're in marketing or advertising. It's a, like his work is a must read if you're in business. So I'm just going to underscore that. And you got to work in his, his company. Right. I never met the man. He was already gone uh, when I was in my first year out of school. But um, the experience obviously was priceless. <clears throat> I like to say I was a junior copywriter. But what that really meant, Wayne, is I was a coffee runner for the big executives. <laughs> you know, oh, I was just no. waiting for that moment that I could write a piece or an yeah. ad for even a magazine or the newspaper or, you know, gosh, TV was like the big thing. If you could write copy for a TV commercial, right? And yeah. here's how it all comes full circle. So I remember I was getting coffee and I used to get coffee. And all I wanted to do, Wayne, is sit in the room and just be a fly on the wall and listen to the ad executives, frankly, get heated and debated around the brands that they were repping, right? And um, I remember this one time, this changed my life. So here's another defining moment. Um, I, there were, they, they used to do these duels where they would fight one brand against the other, the, the competing brand. And in this duel, it was 
Coke versus Pepsi, like, mm-hmm. like the Pepsi challenge almost for those of you who remember the Pepsi challenge. Um, and they were talking about how Coca-Cola was a muse archetype and Pepsi was a ruler archetype. And I didn't know what these terms meant at the time, but they were talking about how they had written all these storyboards up for this Coca-Cola ad because Ogilvy was repping Coca-Cola. Mm. And um, they had a $1 billion budget at the time. This is 25 years ago. Yeah. So, you know, imagine uh, the kind of money that moves, obviously. And I was just in awe of the way that they had put all the storyboards up and they even work on the competitor storyboards. Like, wouldn't a competitor like to see what they worked on for them, right? And <laughs> they were talking about how um, how could the muse archetype overcome the ruler archetype? Because at the time in the 80s, the 80s and the early 90s, the ruler archetype was kind of like the it archetype. Yeah. Now, for those of you who don't know what archetypes are, I'm going to take a pause and just explain what they are. This Archety- is great. This yeah. is awesome. Yeah. Um, archetypes are a term that was coined by Carl Jung, J-U-N-G. He's a socio-psychologist, one of the, probably the most, one of the top five most famous it was a psychiatrist. Uh, psychiatrist, sorry. Psychiatrist. Who studied under Freud. Yeah. Yes. And he his theories were based on um, behaviors of humans, just like Freud and all the rest of those psychologists and psychiatrists. Uh, but he really focused on how humans respond to character in story yes. um, more than anything else. Um, from the beginnings of times. And he coined that term or those characters as archetypes. So that's what an archetype means. And in advertising, in branding, in any type of business uh, where you're trying to let people know what your business is about, there's an actual archetype associated with it that marketers and advertisers use. And so it was where I first learned about archetypes and how, um, you know, Coca-Cola, you know, is the king of all brands and still is actually to this day. It actually has the most brand equity still, even in the digital era, because you can get Coca-Cola to Timbuktu, even if you can't get Wi-Fi there. <laughs> so right. uh, it's, it's everywhere. Right. Um, and sugar is also very addictive. And so, yes. um, you know, they're in the business of that. And so, but how they, how they're able to still make us feel warm hearted is because they're a muse archetype. And what does that mean? A muse archetype is an archetype whose entire character is about nostalgia. It's about the warm and fuzzies. It's about giving people characters that will make them feel a piece of home or a good memory or something sweet in their life. And mm. so think about it. Coca-Cola, when you think of Christmas, right? You think of the polar bears. You think of the tagline, a Coke and a smile, right? You think of... Um, this is the last one. And for those of you who have your kids, for some reason, if you're listening to this podcast with your kids around, please put your headphones on because I'm about to um, blow your mind and also <laughs> probably um, mess up your parenting. And that is that Coca-Cola actually interviewed, uh, uh, Coca-Cola invented Santa Claus. Yes. Okay, a lot of people don't know that, but the reason yes. Santa Claus is a jolly white man who dresses in red and white is because it looks like a Coca-Cola can. And um, this is why they're one of the most strong brands in the world. And it was that moment, Wayne, that I was, obs- I became obsessed. 
like with, wow, like this is how people respond. This is how powerful marketing really is. And, mm-hmm. and I was, was obsessed by the fact that there was such a psychology. And I knew that Wayne, because I had gone to school, I actually have my, um, I have my minor in psychology. My, my, my degree is in marketing. Um, but I'm fascinated with why humans behave and marketing is really just the science of human consumption. You know, that's what it is. It's really a science. And so, um, I can get totally geeky with this. I bet you could too. Um, but that's, that's my, that was my first real job and it it really has uh, played its note throughout my entire career, obviously. That's fabulous. Um, I'm, I'm taking notes as you talk. (laughs) Uh, yeah. So that's where Santa came from. Do you know where Rudolph came from? Just as a digression. Do you know this? I actually don't. So this comes from Montgomery Wards who needed a coloring book. Oh, that makes so much sense. Isn't it great? It's like, dang. And, and we just sort of accept it right. As part of our culture that, you know, there's this jolly man in a red suit and, um, you know, a, a gleam in his eye and right. So it's really interesting. Um, and Rudolph became a hero, right? Rudolph, in the story. So, Rudolph became a hero. Exactly. And yeah. that, right. The song came on just after the coloring book came out. So the song uh, was written based on the popularity of this coloring book that came from a lower end department store. Amazing. Oh my gosh. I remember yeah. Montgomery Ward too. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, it's fascinating. And if you look at, I mean, y- you can look at marketing slash propaganda through the ages as well. 100%. Um, it, you know, women were, women were told that it was necessary to have the, the home tidy and pleasant for when the man came home, lipstick was a thing until women were needed to go to the machine machine uh, shops because the men were off at war. Yeah. So it's and and uh, right. And so the thing that was all marketing, it was yeah. all and it was marketing from the government. It's very fascinating. And so now it's well, what are we putting forth? And I know the work that you do. And the work that I do is very integrity based. It is yeah. very like you're not going to sell something or put something forth that's just to try and sell it. You are putting forth something that matters. And yeah. I mean, that's one of your screening criteria, which yeah. I, I love about you is um, it's like <laughs> no bull. You know, it's like yeah. I love that. I love that. So, um, when did you decide that you'd either learned enough or, you know, you're going to, you're going to try it on your own. I mean, at one point you, you built a multi-million dollar company and then it got sort of tumbled and crushed. Yeah. Yep. So talk a little bit about, okay, so you came out of Ogilvy's at some point you had, your, uh, it, uh, you, you know, when you start a business, it's called an entrepreneurial seizure. So, <laughs> I love that. I never heard that before, but I love that. <laughs> so you had your own entrepreneurial seizure and you said, oh, okay, I guess I'll, I know enough. I guess I'll do it. And, um, it's not easy. No. Um, I- you're a climber. 
right? So, and you've always gone against, you know, it's like, it doesn't have to be easy. It just has to be done. Yeah. So talk a little bit about that journey. Cause I, I love that. I think it's fascinating. Yeah. You know, I, I want to say, and just admit to you and anyone who's listening that that entrepreneurial seizure didn't feel like it didn't come on because I knew enough yet. It came on because of what I call a violation. And so I want to paint a contextual uh, picture here. So my philosophy about leadership is called values-driven. And it, the three parts of being a values-driven leader is your vision, your violations, and your voids, the three Vs. And those three Vs equal your values, okay, based on my premise and my study of how humans behave in business, especially because I specifically focus on that, just like you, Wayne, right? It's like really focus on how we can produce great things um, that matter, are in integrity, and don't let us like endeavor in soul-sucking activity, right? And so I, but, but me telling you that right now, as you're listening, I didn't have that term, let's say, um, when I decided to have that entrepreneurial seizure, um, but that entrepreneurial seizure helped me create this model. So that's very cool. So let me tell you what happened. First and foremost, I never wanted to be an entrepreneur. Okay. I, uh, did, that was not what I wanted. I actually wanted to be like the CEO of Google or at the time I thought, oh, I could totally have Meg Whitman's job. She was the CEO of eBay. And for those of you who live in California or know of Meg Whitman, you know, she ran for governor. She's a billionaire. And she was the CEO. She didn't even found eBay. And I thought to myself, my gosh, if I can like climb the ladder and make a big difference. And I was in that, what I call the pre 2000 Silicon Valley growth spurt. And then they had the bust. And then now it's like phenomenally like growing and growing. And there's no, yeah. And there's no stopping it now because the world has adopted digital everything. Right. Cause uh, you know, in the nineties still, we still enjoyed an analog life. I miss it a lot in that way. Um, but anyway, I had no, I had no desire. So I knew after I left Ogilvy, if I wanted to do something like that, I needed to go work in high tech and that's what I chose to do. So I worked for Oracle. I worked for Sun Microsystems. You know, I, I was, I was their product. I was a product manager, which in companies, they're typically the PL owners of a brand or, or a product line. Right. Well, anyway, um, I got hired um, to run the business-to-business division of Verizon's West Coast. And what I loved about the opportunity is telephone companies were becoming telecommunications companies that were becoming technology companies. And I felt that it would provide all the pieces, including like procedures, operations, learning how to work with unions, like all the things that I felt I needed in my next season of career growth. And so I got hired to run business to business and business to business is not, is the unsexy side of most companies, right? It's like business to consumer is way more sexy products, super fun, you know, like the business to consumer side with cell phones and, you know, um, it's like way more fun. Whereas my side, I'm selling cloud services, security, um, all the boring things. But in most big companies, the B2B department or division is the moneymaker. And the B2C 
is the brand maker, right? It's the one that like makes the brand big. And so I was always like saving my counterpart's ass basically every quarter and getting our, um, our bonuses. And I will say people used to say in, um, well, now they say it because at the time this show wasn't on TV, but there was a show, I don't know if you're familiar, Wayne, the show Scandal with, um, uh, it's a government show, basically political drama on ABC and the lead character's name is Olivia Pope. And she's, she's played by Carrie Washington and Olivia Pope fixes everything in Washington. Like she figures out how to fix everything. And so they used to call me the fixer because I would get called in to fix broken projects, right? All the time. And I have a backstory about that too. If you don't mind, if you want to hear about it. Yeah, you know, do um, it. You, well, we have time and, and yeah, yeah, if you want to go down that, that road. Um, I was <laughs> going to say, because I hope this lesson helps people who are listening is after at my job at Ogilvy, um, I had an incredible mentor. Her name was Maria. And she was the general manager of Ogilvy West Coast. And she was 33 years old. I was 22 at the time. And she had two young kids, a husband that she seemed that she liked. And she had the corner office. And she was still really young as far as I was concerned. You know, she was 10 years my senior. But I was like, wow. So I remember my first um, performance review, she asked me, it, well, we went through it and she said, you know, you have a lot of potential. I like your work ethic. Um, you know, you have a lot of great ideas. You speak up, blah, blah, blah. And I remember when we concluded the performance review, she said, well, you know, do you have anything you'd like to ask me? And I said, yeah, I, I do. And she said, what is it? And I said, what do I have to do to get your job in 10 years? And I remember her smiling back at me and saying, you know, first of all, nobody has ever asked me that. And I'm surprised because I think if more young people, this is her words, um, ask that question of their mentors, that simply, instead of all the, like putting a lot of what I call yeast on that bread, like really just asking straight to the point, they would get a lot farther. So she said, but let me give you the best advice I can give, give you. Take all the projects nobody wants. Take all those projects nobody wants. And when you do that and you show that you can get it done, and even when you fail, so when you fail, you'll be called courageous. When you succeed, you'll be the hero. Hmm. And either way, you're going to win. And she said, and it's even more important that you're a young woman, you're a young woman of color. She said, and here's the thing about Maria. I had no idea that she was Hispanic. Mm. I thought she was a white woman. She's like, a lot of people don't know I'm 100% Mexican. And it's either way, she she didn't hide it on purpose. But she said, look, I think if I did mention it, it would have caused me not to move as fast. And she said, this is just the way the world works. Now, this again, for those of you listening, was like late 90s, that kind of time era. And even back then, even though we've made huge strides from a gender perspective, we're still facing that bias. Right. And so, you know, she, I think, so fast forward back to my last job at Verizon, because I had made my career being the fixer, you know, at every job I, I, I went, I was in, um, Verizon was no exception. They were rolling out a new project, super undercover and secret. Um, you know, telecommunications companies were getting into something called internet protocol television, which is now, (laughs) 
uh, IPTV for short, it is to the predecessor to streaming or Netflix, Hulu and all that. Well, one thing you also don't know about me, Wayne, is like I'm one of the godmothers of IPTV existing in the world. Um, I... Uh, Verizon wanted, I mean, sorry, Verizon wanted to get into that game. They had to get in that game to keep competing, right, with AT&T um, and, and the cable companies, obviously. And um, that is typically a B2C thing. It's a business-to-consumer product. It's not a B2B product. So now they were diversifying their cell phone product and now TV, right? And uh, they wanted me to work on it. <laughs> and I was like, hell no, I'm not, I'm not going to kill myself. For this project, because I knew it was huge, the amount of teams I would have to cross-functionally direct and also be that in-between person between the boardroom and 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 working with the everyday people on the ground, because we also have to do with unions, because yeah, I'm going to get a little technical here, because when you ride streaming over copper wire versus fiber optic wire, there's all kinds of things that are very technical, and I was like, I'm not doing it. And at the time, I was early thirties. Um, I had two young daughters. I already worked a lot. Um, and they just said, look, you know, if you get this, if you take this on, you know, you're going to be, um, we're going to promote you to, um, you know, CMO. You're going to have that corner office. and Right. <laughs> and the thing was, was that I always saw my path as I was going to be a CMO somewhere first, then CEO. Like I saw that as my, my trajectory. And so I thought, okay, this is going to be a moment. So long story long, I worked on this project for a couple of years, brought that product to market successfully, obviously along the way, lots of, there's always going to be issues in projects um, there but I worked a lot of long nights. I mean, for those two years, it's a blur to me of when I even saw my children. Um, I had to delegate a lot um, to in my home life um, to make this happen. And, and I mean, besides the internal staff, the amount of consultants we hired, oh my God, it was like, and when you're dealing with consultants, who I love because I'm a consultant now too. <laughs> I mean, it's just all the politics that you have to deal with. It was a lot. But we successfully implemented it. And then, so here I'm thinking, I'm going to get this big promotion, right? And I'll never forget, um, performance review comes around for the year that I'm supposed to get promoted to CMO. And my boss tells me (laughs) that the head of business to consumer, whose job I did for two years with this new project, was going to get promoted instead of me. And that's why I call it a violation. Oh, yeah. Because a violation by definition in my leadership model called values driven means that it's something that was unfair, like you, even if it's perceived, was unfairly done to you. Okay. And that leaders and winners, if you will, know how to take violations and turn them into gold, right? Just like they know how to take voids and voids, my definition of voids are things that you perceive as missing in your life. That's a different than a violation. So like, let's say my whole life, I wanted to be Annie on Broadway, which by the way, that is something I wanted to be when I was younger. Um, Part of that thing you wanted is influencing you subconsciously or consciously to be who you are. Right. And so that moment of, and I realized I screwed up. I screwed up the last two years because while I was working my tail for two years, 
my counterpart, who, by the way, we're still really good friends. I'll tell you about that in a minute. He was playing golf with our boss on the weekends, you know? Um, and I was like, oh, I see. That's how the world works, right? And I thought, because I grew up in a very, this is my naivete, that hard work only would get you promoted, right? Because um, remember, from my grandmother to my mother to Maria, even, who said, take all the hard projects, you'll keep getting it. I, that was the first moment in my career that I really realized that's not how it worked. And, or, or, or it didn't work in that moment, right? And so obviously I got upset, but I didn't, you know, I don't burn bridges, right? We learned that in, in corporate, um, cause I really do believe you can be authentic and not burn bridges. And it's up to the other person on the other side to decide, even if you speak up, speak the truth, whether or not they can be a grown up too. Right. But obviously I was disappointed, but I also knew, um, Wayne, that I couldn't just leave my job right away because I was making $400,000 a year. I was, I had a freaking parking spot with my name on it. You know, I did have a corner office. It just wasn't on the top floor. Um, and I needed that job for a while because I had all the fancy things. I had a lot of trophies and triumphs. You know, I had an executive house and two really nice cars and kids that went to private school and you know, I had a lot to lose reputation-wise, it felt like, if I just toughed off and quit. So I made a nine-month plan to exit my job. I saved half of my paycheck, and I decided I was going to start my own business. And so that's that moment, just to let you know what happened to me. And then I could tell you what happened after that. <laughs> that's fabulous, right? Because so many people would have crumbled. Yeah. Like the, oh, hell no moment of you did that, the violation moment, right? Mm -hmm. So many people would have crumbled and just said, fine, you know, and it's like, I'll just, I'll just take the paycheck and yeah. show up and do nothing or, um, or slam the door and burn the bridge and just, you know, storm out. Um, I want to go back to one thing, which is winding back the clock with you and Maria. Mm -hmm. You asked a question that very few people ask, which is, what do I have to do? in order to have this. And mm -hmm. a lot of people um, will just ask questions like, um, like uh, it, it's more like, how do I skip all the doing to, yes. get, to get this prize, right? That like, part, yeah. It's like, um, well, I want to be famous. How do I get in sta on stage? It's like, well, how do you, like, what do you have to do first to get to the point where you can even ask that question. Right. Yes. So, um, so the answer, right. Take all the projects that no one wants is not a bad answer mm -hmm. because it taught you a ton. And what it didn't teach you was politics. Yeah. Um, what it did teach you was how everything else works. Yeah. Which is amazing. So priceless, uh, just, priceless advice, right? Yeah. I just want to underscore that, that it's, that it's like you asked the right question and you took the right steps, mm -hmm. uh, right? And and then you got a result that you didn't want. Mm -hmm. So you made a plan, mm -hmm. which I love because that's like, that's who you are. It's like, mm -hmm. okay, all right, what's my plan? Yeah. So talk about then your first business. Like you, you chose to break into business on your own. Yeah, so this was back in 2007. And um, I 
Okay. So here's what's crazy. So I didn't know what business I wanted to start. That's what I think a lot of other people are surprised because if they know me, they're like, you always kind of know what you want to do next. And I'm like, no, I had no idea because my entire identity was in the corporate world, you know? And I was like, what will someone pay me for? So it's cool that I had this background in marketing and go to market because the thing I'm always looking for in any new idea is the intersection between will the market want it and do I have either the resources or the personal expertise or a mixture of both to make it happen? I think that um, that was what I was looking for. And honestly, those nine months that I was saving half of my paycheck, not buy myself any new shoes, (laughs) those type of things, I was on the hunt for an idea. I didn't have one. Wayne, I, I was like, well, what am I going to do? So anyway, I used to have to go to Dallas a lot because Verizon's headquarters um, are in Dallas. And I'd go there every three weeks for a few days on business. And I remember landing back in Honolulu because I was back living in Hawaii by this point. I wanted to raise my children there because I felt it was very important to um, just have them have the same cultural upbringing that I did, but keep them global. And I had a whole vision for them. Like, I want you to be humble, but I want you to be able to see the world, blah, blah, blah. Anyway. um, Humble and worldly is not a bad mix. Yeah, I think so. And so I was getting off the plane and I noticed something. And it was a common thing that the women on the plane were carrying as a carry-on. And it was a pink and white bag. It was a Victoria's Secret bag. Okay. And I was like, that is it. Because guess who was also carrying one of those bags? Me. I was stepping off the plane with this bag in my hand going, this is, okay, in Hawaii, at the time, you will not believe this. There was no Nordstrom. There was no Macy's. Women bought their undergarments on the mainland, we called it, you know, the main Mm -hmm. continental U S is called the mainland in Hawaii. And, um, or you'd have to go to Walmart to buy your underwear. And I, I'm certainly not going there to do that. So, uh, just not on brand for me. Okay. Um, (laughs) and I was like, that's it. Now, Wayne, I had no background in retail or operations in that regard except I was a really good customer of of retail stores. But I was like, it meets the, it meets my equation at the time, which was market wants it. I know something about it just because I'm a woman and I know how to bring products to market. It was my expertise, right? It was what I did in the corporate world. Now I was missing a part, which I'm going to talk about in a moment. um, But I was like, that's it. And so I set out to do all my research. I mean, at the time, Limited Brands, which owns Victoria's Secret, they were a publicly traded company. I studied all of their SEC filings. I checked to see if they were planning on coming to Hawaii or Alaska because they were not in Hawaii and Alaska. And literally in the SEC filings, it said they were not. They considered Hawaii an international destination. They didn't want to go international. I was like, oh my God, this is perfect, right? At the time, e-commerce was still kind of newish. It wasn't new, but it was newish. And adoption of e-commerce was not high, obviously. And I was like, okay, I have this whole digital strategy uh, that I was going to kind of break through and be that. And so, yeah, so I signed a lease at the mall and I started an underwear business. Okay. <laughs> um, That's within, awesome. 
I know it's crazy. It's crazy. In 18 months, we were doing $10 million in sales. And I couldn't believe it. I was like, this is epic, right? Um, That's kind of epic. Most businesses, you know, what are the statistics? Most businesses fail in the first 18 months. Totally. Right. And, and, and that's the thing I also want people to get when they listen to this, this podcast is I was totally an outlier. Right. Yes. And I like to reinforce <laughs> that because it was so many times marketing's job is to get you to bet on the outlier mm. when it's shady, when it's shady, when it's not in integrity Peep, that's what marketing does is like, it shows you like this one person, like everybody wants to be Oprah, right? If you want to be famous and be a speaker, right? I know, cause I would like to be Oprah too, you know? Mm-hmm. And like, that's an outlier. Instead, what if you found somebody who maybe we don't know as well, but they are a seven figure speaker who is impacting a lot of people. That's the person we should be studying and asking, like I asked Maria, what do I need to do to get what you have, mm-hmm. Right. And so for me, I just want everybody to understand that part of my story is you understand that I am very clear I'm an outlier. And that's why to this day, I think why I've been so successful, gratefully so, is because I've always humbled knowing that I was an outlier. And I also got it completely taken away from me because remember, I mentioned the time frame. 2006 is when I left my job. 2007 was when I had the biggest year of my life financially in my that era of my 30s. Um, I was in my 30s at the time. Um, and, and in 2008, I got my ass handed to me. <laughs> like everybody else who yeah. owned a small business or, I mean, you know, like <clears throat> huge brands went out of business. Hummer, Saturn, you know, you like, and right. there was no bailout like there is with the pandemic, you know small businesses didn't get a bailout. Uh, they had, we had to bail out the big businesses, the shady businesses, the businesses that got us into the position we, we were in. Right. And so it felt very unjust again, violation, right. It felt not right. And I was like, and so in a matter of, I went from frankly being a millionaire, having literally at least a million dollars in my bank account at any given time to functionally homeless. Um, I lost my house. I lost my business. I lost my credit. I lost my marriage. I, and, and I had to go back and live with my grandma in Wailua. So it's not about full circle. So that's what I mean by functionally homeless, because I will tell you right now, no Filipino grandma or mother is going to let you live on the street. Uh, but they will let remind you why you're living in their house again. Okay. And, uh, I was functionally homeless and then my grandma died three months later. And it was like, if there was a shit storm, it was all at that moment. Like I have never, and still to this day, I don't think anything, uh, let's put it this way. Like I was just a, I became a soulless um, shell of a woman. Um, I was, I had no confidence. Yeah. You know, I, I lost all my confidence. I, I felt like a complete failure. Depression. Um, depression. Were, yeah. It yeah, was you, really you were depressed. Yeah. Yeah. And so, and how do you I was crawl back after that? Like, that's, yeah. you know, because it's like, yeah. 
you know, people talk about the bounce. What's your big bounce? It's like, well, I knew I couldn't tolerate being depressed anymore. And, you know, I found my cape and I became Wonder Woman. And it's like, it doesn't exactly work that way. Oh, my Um, God. I wish it was that easy. Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, would like to invite you to dare to declare that your dreams are worthy. Beyond all of the success you have that got you here, you know you're bigger than the life you're currently living. What have you set aside to get to where you are? Don't you want to wake that back up? It really is possible to explore new dreams and dare to desire without giving up your current path of success. Pop over to Dr. Purnell's free masterclass to help you get from your desire to your destination. www.powerfulpresencemasterclass.com That's powerfulpresencemasterclass.com Dr. P's free masterclass is at www.powerfulpresencemasterclass.com How did you crawl out? Because it's, you know, depression well, like that, when you lose everything and a family member, yeah, that's a hole. That's a, that's, you know, and then you've got family around you going, you know, you thought you were big stuff, you know, and it's like, exactly. Hey. Oh, trust it. Even if my mother was listening right now, she would agree. I mean, she was, she told me, she's, I told you, why did you leave your job? You know, that was her whole like thing. Right. Yeah. Um, and it was, it was hard. And to also be, become a single mother and, and with two young girls, it was hard. And I, I stopped eating. I didn't know I was stopping eating. Cause I, I, I didn't really even know Wayne, what depression was. I, I did, but I yeah. didn't understand it fully, right? Even though you didn't know you, you were in a it. Psycho- yeah. yeah. Most people don't know, right? Even though I have a psychology minor, I didn't, you know what I mean? I didn't, I didn't know. Yeah. Everybody else noticed, obviously. And I, I'm grateful because even though my mom was tough on me, um, and my friends and my mom specifically like rallied around me. And I'll never forget though, but I I just stopped eating. People thought I was on drugs, which I've never taken a drug in my life. Um, Not judging, just saying I I didn't, but I just stopped eating and didn't know it. And so I was withering away. And I remember I used to sit out and watch the cars just pass by, literally on this rocking chair Mm -hmm. outside. And I'll never forget my daughter who is now 25. She was 10 at the time. She came out and she tapped on my shoulder and she said, mommy, you're Jen Kem. It's time to wake up now. Wow. And that was the Cape moment. Wow. Yeah. That's like, that's awesome. That was the moment. That was it. And I don't know what happens. Or I just, I just remember all of a sudden I felt like, I guess the blood rushed back up my body. Yeah. And I just became me again. Cause I finally saw clearly what I needed. And by the way, that was the moment I decided to get psychiatric help because before that I wasn't. So it was like, what do I need to do? And I keep thinking about Maria. What do I actually have to do right now in order to get through this? And it felt like a hard project and the hard project was me. You know, I was the hardest project that I needed to take on. And yeah, I mean, I, I literally got back out on the street. 
literally knocking on doors. Um, as just, I just thought to myself, Wayne, I was like, if I just make $4,000 a month, I can pay my, my basic bills. Mm. And, um, that's all I was going for was like, if I can do that. And I remember the one place I didn't want to go back to was Verizon and not because I wasn't qualified. It was because I was ashamed that I'd failed. And I remember my good friend, she was like, she also encouraged me to go to this personal development seminar, which really helped a lot too. So I was like getting psychiatric help, went to this personal development seminar, um, started like getting myself out there, letting people know I was available, put myself active on LinkedIn at the time. And she said, why don't you go back to your old boss and say you want your job back? And I'm like, no way. Right. And she was like, I mean, $4,000 when you could be making 40,000 a month, like, what are you thinking? Right. And I'm like, I'm my ego was just too big. But finally I was like, yeah, I'm going to do that. So I call my boss and he is thrilled. I'm available. He's like, Oh my God, this is great. Um, I would love to have you back. And it was in that moment, I realized I had leverage. Right. And I called back that violation that had happened. And I wanted to make sure that I was still being in integrity with myself. Mm-hmm. Because I believe integrity is not really about others. It's about ourselves. And then mm-hmm. if we're in integrity with ourselves, we'll be in integrity with others. And I was like, wait a minute, this is me backtracking. And I'd gotten a taste of quote unquote freedom and creating my own economy through entrepreneurship. And I was like, I don't want to give that up. So I remember on the phone with him, I said, here's the thing though. Here's the only way I'll come back. He was like, you name it. I said, I want to come back as a consultant, not as an employee. And he said, okay. I was like, oh, it's that easy. <laughs> and, uh, and that was the beginning of my company, Chemcom, which was my first multi-million dollar consulting company after my retail business failed. And Verizon to this day is still one of our biggest clients. Wow. Um, and yeah, I mean, the rest is history. I mean, there's a lot more, you know, Wayne, you've met me through speaking engagements and stuff like yes. that, but now you're really getting to know me, huh? Um, well, that's the point. That's the point of having you here, Jen, is, yeah. um, is you know, you are this successful woman that a lot of people look up to. I respect you so tremendously. And I think, you know, we, we talk about all we see on social is other people's highlight reels yeah. and we compare ourselves to the highlight reels. And I think, you know, it's really important along the way that yes, you had this amazingly high paying job. Um, and it, it really like, it doesn't matter that, that you had the executive level job. It matters that you had uh, an engagement in a field that worked for you that you moved away from for the sake of a violation, right? They violated your integrity. Um, You built something spectacular, like you had the hero's journey, right? So you built built something spectacular, you bounced um, a magic, a magic incantation was uttered to you. (laughs) That's a great way to put it. I mean, truly, it's like revive, and you're like, <laughs> oh my god, my daughter will love that because we like. She's like, I'm Ravenclaw mom, you know, because we're big Hogwarts fans. So I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to tell her after I get me, off. Me too. <laughs> um, so, um, 
And here's the thing, like you've seen me writing notes furiously. I have three pages of notes and and, uh, my show notes end up being about, you know, paragraph and a half. But here's the thing. I think it is really important for any of us on the road to becoming whoever our next iteration is. Mm -hmm. I was the hardest project I had to take on. Thank you for repeating that. Right? That's your quote, right? I was the hardest project I had to take on. Guess what? Each of us, in order to get to the next iteration of ourselves, you're going to be the hardest project to take on. And until you're willing to do that, and I think that's the the key, Jen, is Mm -hmm. that you've been willing to do that step after step after step. But to pull yourself out of depression and turn yourself into a multi-million dollar consultant that's a pretty good bounce. <laughs> there was yeah. a lot of there was a lot of air in that ball that bounced. It's like it, it was, was not deflated. It right? was simpler than I had ever imagined it to be. I think. Thank you for repeating that. What I said out of my mouth because sometimes I forget what I say. That's but. the point of me taking notes because that's like these yeah. gems come like on here. Remember this: the that the title of this show is one sharp sword. Mm-hmm. cutting through to what matters most and it's like one sharp sword is about it's it's different to have a sharp blade versus 10,000 dull blades like we are oh, cutting yes. right through and getting to here's the gem and and it's like <laughs> the gem from Jen is this right <laughs> it's like you work on you you take yourself on as a project mm-hmm. you're going to be unstoppable and right. Yeah. And so you, you, you step back and talk a little bit. I mean, do you still have time? Cause I'm happy to go. over. Yeah, absolutely. Awesome. If you've got time, then I'm going to, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to make use of it and take advantage and, and just say you, where you are now is like, we've, we pretty much got up to the present day. Right. And yeah. you've got me working on uh, values and archetypes and, you know, I get to say I'm an explorer advocate creator. Like, ta-da. Ooh, I love to know that. Yeah. <laughs> so <laughs> that makes a lot of sense, by the way. Uh, it we'll does, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really does. <laughs> so, uh, so as, as we continue our work together, you'll go. Oh well, let's just ignite a fire under that. Um, mm-hmm. But that's the and that's part of the work I'm doing on me. And to recognize, like, for those in my audience that are following my trajectory, they've seen me, like, my second TEDx. They've seen, you know, my speaking career. I'm in a, I'm in a documentary that's being, they're following me on my speaking career. I mean, like, there's a lot of stuff where in the past several years, I've said it is time to get really clear about who I am and my trajectory. And I think... The reason I shared that is not to go yay me as much as it is to say any one of us, when you're ready to do that work on yourself and polish and fine tune and keep polishing and keep fine tuning, you're going to find that a lot of the stuff that you carried with you was only for the sake of safety. Like, yeah. oh, it's it's familiar. Therefore, it must come with me. It's like, uh-uh, it's familiar. And that makes it baggage, right? So um, so talk a little bit, which here it is, Explorer, right? I'm sure that that is all part of it, right? So, so talk a little bit about, like, 
you're refining you, you polishing your message, you creating this brand where you are helping people get really clear on who they are and their message and the best positioning for them. You know? Well, I just want to say, yay, you, I do want to celebrate you, Wayne, for all of that. That's amazing. (laughs) And I think, you know, one of the things I like to say is we are a masterpiece and a work in progress all at the same time, right? So everything we've done in past seasons, um, and that's what they are. They're seasons and not necessarily three months, like not the literal three month seasons, but a season can last 10 years. It can last six months. But it's all about like, how are we going to uncover that next season? And so when we talk about, you know, I took a pause, uh, eight years ago when I was, you know, Chemcom was doing well. It still does well. Um, I have an amazing person who's running that. Her name is Shay and she was my second in command at Verizon. And we pretty much founded the company together and she's like amazing. But I started to get antsy because I had gotten that entrepreneurial itch, right? And even though my company Chemcom was very stable, I was getting questions all the time because I was part of the Chamber of Commerce. Uh, I was I would I would volunteer my time all the time for nonprofits who were teaching younger. And when I say young, I'm not talking about an age necessarily, but just young in their entrepreneurial journey. And I was like just giving my time to that, and I was just loving it. And my counterparts, people who owned other retail stores or had technology companies, they would ask me. They're like you know, how did you do it? Like, how did you do this? You call it the big bounce, Wayne, but it was just like, what, how did you overcome? And I'm like, that's a good question. So back to like taking myself on, I was like, I need to be a studier of how the heck I did this because I I just kept following the path and even falling into the potholes, (laughs) like, you know, and I hadn't even taken a beat to study what had happened with me. I was just busy trying to survive. Does that make sense? Like to me, even when ChemCom made its first million dollars, I thought when you make 10 million plus dollars in a previous business, this is not going to sound humble, but it's just true. Making money is easy. Okay. And when I just made a million dollars, I thought that wasn't enough. I was like, yeah, no big deal. Right. And Shay, I remember she was like, girl, you've lost your mind. I think this thing has totally messed you up. You need to be thinking about how you did this. And at the time I was like, I don't know. And then I got a lot of people saying, would you teach me this? Would you teach me? And I'm like, I'm not qualified to teach you or speak about this. Right. Mm -hmm. Like, um, I, I just do the work, you know, that kind of thing. I'm doing the work of a consultant. I'm not a speaker. I'm not a teacher really. I, I just, and then what happened was just like anything else, Wayne, I love that you spoke to this. I was like, Shay said, something's coming up for you. This company is stable. Time for you to go and explore. Now, by the way, in my archetype influence mix, which Wayne was referencing earlier, I'm an explorer in my mix. And so the explorer archetype definitely wants to go on a new voyage to feel alive, okay? And the dark side of the explorer is that we tend to hop around too much if we're not careful or we don't have an anchor, you know? Um, And so... Anyway, um, like I always do, taking the advice of my early years from Maria and how I bounced back from my depression, it was like, go get expert help on this. 
So eight years ago, I um, wanted to hire a coach to teach me how to speak and teach about it. And I, I, I'm sure many of you have heard of this person. Her name's Lisa Nichols. Um, she was in The Secret. Um, and I remember she stood out to me in that movie, not just because she was a phenomenally like energetic, beautiful black woman, but I was, there's something magic about her that I was just like pulled to. Mm -hmm. And this is a whole nother story, which I'll, I'll save for another day, but let's just put it this way. I hired her and, um, to help me, um, mainly speak first And then I started to notice her business model, which was she had a training and development company, but it was for speakers and entrepreneurs. And I thought, oh, that's kind of cool. And she's like, you should do this too. And I was like, oh, no, 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 no. (laughs) I was like, no, no, no. I'm here to learn. You're going to help me get some speaking gigs, but I'm not starting another company. I have my own company. And that was my fear that was coming up. I was like, oh, I'm not going to start another company because I'm stable over here now. Right. Mm. And she's like, you wouldn't be here if you didn't want to teach people like me how to do what you do. Because one of the things she observed about me, she's like, I can teach you how to speak, but the way that the things that you know, she was like, there are, I will tell you, we are floating in the dark over here in the entrepreneurial world. There are people who tell us to build funnels and like all this stuff. And none of it ever works. Like everybody I've hired has basically disappointed me. She's like, I, and, and I was telling her, cause just, that's what I do. Generosity is one of my top values learned from my grandmother, I was like telling her how to run her business. And it was like, she was like everything she did that I told her to do, it would just like, like it would work. And she was like, you need to be teaching people like me like this. And I go, oh no, 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 I'm not doing that. So back to like listening to what's next. um, She was like, well, would you take me on as a client? And I said, I don't take on entrepreneurs as clients. I only work with corporations And, um, she said, what if we didn't tell anybody and you just did it on the under and, and meaning like she paid me obviously, but like, you know, just in case it doesn't work and I have no expectations that it'll work, but the few things you taught us have worked. And I'm like, okay, fine. I'll do it. Right. And so I had the sublimely, um, you know, experience to work with her company, motivating the masses and for three years, we went, her business was a million dollar business. When I got there, it was, became a $10 million business when I left and, um, <clears throat> stopped consulting really. And it made me realize that I needed to create something that would help people like her and you and everybody else. And it's called the master brand Institute, which is my company that educates entrepreneurs and founders, how to build a brand and get seen, heard and paid to be themselves. And that's where I also uh, execute our diagnostic called the archetype influence mix, which I, you know, derived from my years at Ogilvy. And then I created my own diagnostic. It's, it's, um, been certified by the university of Monterey. It's a real business diagnostic. Um, it's very helpful in our messaging for entrepreneurs. Cause I feel like people don't have a marketing problem. They have a messaging problem. Marketing is just the, what I call, it's like basically the laptop And the messaging is the operating system, right? The laptop doesn't work without the OS. And so um, people are just missing messaging and they don't know how to lead their team. Those are the two biggest kryptonite of entrepreneurs that I've observed over the past eight years. And it's what we specialize in. And to me, the way to lead a team to success is called values-driven. And the way to build a brand and a business that works is the master brand method. And so I put those two things together through my years of experience and also my 
triumphs and failures as an entrepreneur. And that's how, you know, these frameworks are really the core of what I teach today. And I'm even writing a book on it right now. So I'm super excited about that. I'm excited about that because it makes it uh, super accessible to everybody else, right? Who, who may not have direct access to you. So um, it's incredible. So the, the master brand Institute. Um, Wow. Good. This is good. Um, Any thoughts about like, wow, there's this key thing that if, if you're thinking about starting a business or if you're in business and it's just sort of stalling out, the thing to really think about is. I, okay, I've got it because I want to, if, if you've been listening up to this point, thank you for hanging with us. Um, I talked about that there was one area that I didn't have when I started my first business, the retail business, the underwear business, right? Um, it was sexy work, if you will, but unsexy in the execution of the work. Um, and the area of expertise I didn't have as a subject matter expert, right? I led teams that knew this, but I forgot to bring it with me from the corporate world. And that is how important systems are in your business. The people, the process, and the technology that help the business run. And I call that the mobilization of your business. So the values-driven leadership, the execution of it is called the VSM model. So there are three roles in a company, even a small company. Okay, Even if it's you're a tiny little startup and you're just even thinking of an idea or you built something already and you want to build it to the next level. Mm-hmm. There's the V is the visionizer. That's pretty much you, the person who founded the company, the person who has big dreams and visions of where you want your next season to be. Then there's the strategizer. And the strategizer is really in charge of sales and marketing, generally speaking. Okay, they're the person who is taking the vision and translating it into messaging, right? That will be shared. And now, today, in today's world, that's everywhere, right? Social media, traditional, blah, 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 right? Media, all the things. And then there's the mobilizer, which is basically operations, finance, process, and systems, okay? When I was running my first company, it was the mobilizer role that I did not have. And it's the reason my business failed Mm -hmm. so epically, okay? Now, I think I would not have made it anyway. I'm going to be really honest about that, Wayne, just because nobody did back then in 2008. If you were in retail or real estate, which were the two industries I was in, you were pummeled, okay, uh, in 2008. So I probably wouldn't have made it, but I would not have gotten completely obliterated like I did, like financially, because I lost it all. I was in the negative. I was actually locked out of my accounts for three months. I couldn't even access any money. Um, mm-hmm. I was sued by the federal government. It was just a whole hot mess. And and very embarrassing because I was like, I was all, I'm like, I always consider myself like an upstanding citizen. Like, oh my gosh, I'm some type of like, you know, I've like screwed it all up. But anyway, it was the role that I was missing. And this VSM concept, um, I've noticed in entrepreneurial companies, uh, and when I say company, in company of one even, um, you don't, they don't know how to manage the roles. And by the way, when you're first starting out, you are the V, the S, and the M, right? You are all three. And you're the butcher, the baker, and the candlestick maker, I like to say, right? And, And the key is, is like knowing, as a visionizer, your job is to 
fire yourself from strategizer and mobilizer activities as fast as you can, right? Nice. And it's not easy because finding good talent and people who can take on those roles is not easy, but it's worth fighting for. Like, so if I'm going to leave you with anything, it's that all, all three are critical to your growth for you to sustainably scale. And when I say all three, it's not people, it's roles. It's understanding the role at every stage of your business where you need that mobilization help, which is that ops person, that's somebody who can like run the business. Then you've got the sales and marketing person who can grow the business, right? And then you've got you who casts a vision and builds the brand, right? If you want to become the next Oprah or you want to build a multi-million dollar business, understanding those three critical roles in a company and how they lead is to me the engine behind um, what has been successful for me and those people that I get to work with. So I'm excited to work with you, Wayne, because that's yeah, um, like what we're going to be looking at, you know, and um, that's the power behind like, let's say you're getting media. That's the mechanism behind it that helps people see and hear you and, and understand your expertise. So I'm really, really excited about that. And I, I just want you to, if you're listening, as Wayne asked, like what's something I want to leave you with, like think about those three roles and how they're, how they're invested in your time, energy, and money in your current business, even if you're just starting out. Um, and here's the thing in the beginning, as I said, the hard work is going to be knowing that you are all three. And when you hit a hundred thousand or you hit a million dollars in your business, the hardest part is letting go of the other two, mm-hmm. like letting go of strategizer and mobilizer because you become traumatized, frankly, and conditioned. This is avoiding a violation thing to stay the same. And if you want to sustainably scale a brand, you have to know as you move with the scale and the season how to find people to operate in those roles in your growing company. So that's that's that. that's uh, amazing, absolutely amazing. And um, right, get expert help along the way. That's the other thing. Is right yes. for me as a coach. What I tell people is, look, you you know, what I have is perspective. Right. And I seek yes. perspective of people that aren't in my business to help me with my business. I, what I say is you can't ask a fish what water is like because the fish has no reference of not water. Right. Yes. I need a, I need a bird that can see the fish. Right. So um, that's awesome. Talk of the systems were people. People, process, and technology. And technology. Okay. Mm-hmm. Awesome. And that's, yeah, that is so important to, to keep in mind too, that those are all, those are all systematizable, mm-hmm. right? I used to do uh, organization development. And so coming in and looking at organization culture and consulting with uh, senior executives at, at huge companies and being able to, to, uh, adjust some of the communication plans internally, mm-hmm. right? How do you, right? And, and that's the people and there's a process. And then, you know, how is it delivered? Whew, this is great. Uh, visionizer, strategizer, and mobilizer. Um, can't wait to sort that out. Yeah. And I think that's everybody's homework. So as you're listening to this, as you're watching this, that's your homework. Go back, take a look at your own business, um, even if you're an employee in a business, take a look at how the business is running yeah. and who is running it and how is it running it. And 
and start learning, start like analyzing. If it's yourself, that's great. If it's a business you're in, that's awesome too. Um, Jen, is there anything that you would hope I I would ask you that I haven't asked you? Oh my gosh, I've been loving this conversation. I can't wait to get the recording and listen back to it myself because I think that what you've done such a fabulous job of is asking the right questions and pulling the stories out of me, I think in a way that I hope paints a really clear picture of what's possible um, for the people listening. So thank you for a really fun time. And I do have one more homework uh, thing for them, if it's okay. Yeah, of course. Well, we've been talking about that archetype influence mix that Wayne um, is has taken. He's an explorer, advocate, creator. I'm a ruler, explorer, lover. And if you want to know what you are, I'm giving a gift to all of Dr. P's people. Um, you can go to confidently.me forward slash sharp. And I know that you'll have that in the show notes, I assume. Um, and what's yep. cool is please don't share this link with anybody. The reason is, is it's, it's literally unlocking the full diagnostic reports that people pay us. We have a funnel <laughs> on this diagnostic that people pay us $250 every single day. I get, you know, literally hundreds of people a month by this type. And I want to give it to Dr. P's people so that you can, because you, if you're following him, you dig psychology, you dig leadership, you dig um, understanding how things work. And the most thing that I want you to understand is how you work. And this archetypal assessment will help you with that so that you can take yourself on as a project. <laughs> okay. So that's awesome. That's and does that, here's the other thing is just, uh, does that put them on your mailing list? Because it it's does. Good. Yes, it does. That, that's a good thing. Like I'm, I'm asking okay. that, like, how else would people contact you? The fact that you get yeah. on the mailing list and you get insights from Jen, like two things. One, the, the assessment is incredible and a value of, at least $250. And the other is get in Jen's, get in Jen's network. It's like, just do. So uh, confidently.me slash sharp. Is that right? Awesome. Yes. Awesome. Jen Kim. It is so good. It's just so good. Like my, uh, sometimes my shows go about 40 minutes. Sometimes they go an hour. We've gone about an hour and 20 minutes and I love it. And I know that my audience is going to love it too. So um, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for your generosity in just all the, the, your history and the wisdom that you've, you've shared on the way. This is fabulous. Thank you so much for having me. It's been really fun. Yay. All right. Well, this is one sharp sword cutting through to what matters most. I've had Jennifer Kem with me, and I am Dr. Wayne Purnell, Dr. P, the Breakthrough Success Coach. Thank you for listening to One Sharp Sword, cutting through to what matters most with your host, Dr. P, Dr. Wayne Purnell, the Breakthrough Success Coach and your powerful presence mentor.